I am so happy and excited that I don't have to preach today. No, just kidding. I'm happy and excited because we have a really special guest speaker. That's the founder of Mission Gathering. You may not realize that Mission Gathering is one of several. Uh, and so Mission Gathering was founded by Reverend Rich McCullen, um, actually, which was partly inspired in the Seattle area. And he'll share some of his story of why he started um, this inclusive church. So give it up for Rich McCullen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. All right. <laughs> Got a little scared there. Uh, I'm not going to get too close to you, though I am a, I grew up, anyone ever heard Southern Baptist? You heard of that? Oh, your eyes got big. Yeah, I grew up Southern Baptist, and then I kind of went uh, to more of a um, charismatic thing. Trigger, trigger warnings here, okay? You ever heard charismatic people and Pentecostal? Yeah, they, uh, they have a lot of emotions on Sunday mornings. So I'm kind of like in the middle of those, so I like interaction. So um, let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, a God who loves all of us, loves all of everything we are, the good, the bad, the struggles, the secrets. You, God, love us just the way we are. This morning, gracious, loving God, I ask that you fill this space with that grace that we talk about, that grace that we yearn for, the grace that welcomes, includes, and uplifts us all. Gracious, loving God, I ask that you be with us as we think of your story, your story, Lord, and how your story impacts our journey, our story. We give this time to you. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So I, I want to share a little bit about how I came into ministry. And it wasn't um, really recent. It's been a little while, which is kind of like weird to say now, because I always think of myself super young. And then I realize when I'm out on Friday night with some friends how I'm not super young, like I envision in my head, right? But I've been doing this for a while. I'm the, um, let me just start with my family. I'm the youngest of eight. They were not Catholic nor Mormons. I always get that question. They were not. My parents had eight kids and really didn't know how to raise one. And they learned, and I'm the youngest of eight. It was uh, six boys, one girl, and then me, right? So my sister, who's a couple years older than me, was like a boy. So she would just beat the crap out of me. It was tough being the youngest of eight. But when you're the youngest of eight, you take in a lot of the energy that's happening in your house. My father was also extremely abusive. Um, he was a very, very difficult man. 
in the public's eye, he was a very successful person in the world of construction and built a very successful business. In private, he was an alcoholic and he drank very heavily and he would come in and become very physical. He was very physical with my mother, put her in the hospital 23 times and was never arrested. Yeah. He was a tough, tough man. And so when I hear these songs about, when I look in my brother's face, I look in my enemy's face, I see my brother, that is something that even as a grown man that I still struggle with in thinking of my father's face and how he looked when he was super, super intoxicated. And so I decided that I was going to be everything my dad was not. You know, my dad was not religious. And I didn't really, you know, I mean, if I said I wanted to go to church, my mom would put me in a suit and send me to church, a little, little J.C. Penney suit. You ever heard of that place? And, um, but I said one night after he came in, and really uh, was very physical with my mother. And she was, it's a tough thing to say, but she was covered in uh, blood and in the bathroom trying to pull herself together, as she had to do many times. And I remember going up to his body that was passed out on the couch I remember getting really close to him my mother didn't see anything yet my sister was crying and didn't see that I was doing this and I got really close to him he was passed out and he was breathing really heavy I can see it and I can smell it as if it just happened today and I leaned in when I was about just turning nine, and I leaned in and I just said to myself, I dare not speak it, because he could have woken up. I could have been, yeah, could have woke up. I said, I will be everything you are not. I will be everything you are not. And then my mother came around the corner and said, please, don't do anything. I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm, you know, nine years old. And she took me, and we cried. And that night, <clears throat> I made that decision that I'm going to be everything he was not. And in that, I said, I got to go to church because he wasn't religious. Now, as I got older, I realized, well, I'm different than a lot of my friends. But then, at that time, I needed a church, I needed a community, I needed Jesus to be this, this image of a person riding in on a white horse to save me. That's the Jesus I needed at that time. And so... I got on the phone the next couple of days and I called a church that I would pass on the way to 
school, and it was called uh, First Baptist Church of East Bay. And I called this church, founded in the Yellow Pages. <laughs> the Yellow Pages. The young ones in the back are like, what is, what's that? What's that? And I found it, and I called, and I'll never forget the voice of the minister who picked up, the person who picked up. He goes, hello, this is First Baptist Church, East Bay. So glad you called today. I get really nervous. I said, I, I want to go to church. He goes, all right. You want to go to church? Oh, that's fine. My name is Reverend Chester Johnson, and I'll see you Sunday. Goes, well, I don't have a ride. Oh, don't you worry. Where are you at? I said, that's how he spoke. Where are you at? I said, uh, gave him the place I lived. And we lived out far in the sticks of Florida. And I'll never forget the Sunday morning. I, I told my mom a few days before, I'm, I'm going to go to church. And she was like, okay, well, we have to get you a suit. You have to have a suit when you go to church. That's how it used to be. And um, so I got a suit, and I, it was a blue suit. And, and there I was, and we, we went outside. We saw the car coming down the driveway. And as the car came closer, I couldn't see anyone driving. This was way before Tesla, right? So I just saw this Subaru-type station wagon just bouncing down our driveway. And as it got closer, I saw like these, this hair. It was like this whitish, purplish hair thing going on. And these knuckles holding on to some st a steering wheel. <laughs> and she was coming down that driveway like she was on a mission from God to pick up this boy. And I was afraid. I, I don't know if I want to do this, Mom. And she's like, oh, you are. You're doing this. She's here. And she got out, and she jumped out of the car. She says, are you Richie? That's what people call you in the South. Whatever your name is, they have to make it you know, Bubba something, Richie, Rich, Richard, Richie. Are you Richie? I'm like, yes, ma'am. I am Richie. She's like, well, come on. We're going to church. And I sat in the back. And I remember sitting in the back. I was terrified. It was all new. Mom wasn't there. Sister was not with me. It was just me. And I remember looking at her as she was driving and singing the old gospel hymns that she had on the radio. And she was talking and talking. She never stopped talking. And the music was loud because she couldn't hear. And I was overwhelmed, my sens sensory overload. And I remember looking at her sweater, shawl thing she was wearing and her dress. And we pulled up to the church. And I got out. And this church, this Baptist church, was full of most loving people. Most loving people. There were the wealthy farmers who made a lot of money. There were three African-American women that came every week. There were somewhat I would consider, we would consider uh, 
destitute, just homeless type individuals. It was just it was just a small, small church. It was about the size of this row, these, this section here. But it was full. And I knew as soon as I came in that I was going to be safe. That these people were going to come around me and love me. So I went there for several months. I mean, I was faithful there every single Sunday and Wednesday. Wednesday. You had to go. You went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. Church was a lot. Uh, part of, it was a huge piece of your life if you were into a faith community. Well, some, several, I wasn't going to jump into all of this, but hey, why not? Several months passed by, and I was so into this. And this Jesus on this white horse came in, and this Jesus was rescuing me, right? Faith evolves, okay? Faith evolves. That Jesus is not the Jesus I know anymore. That's the Jesus I needed. That is what I needed at the time. That's obviously changed for various reasons. I'll share that in a bit. But I was there, and I just loved it, and I was motivated, and it was changing me. It was empowering me. It was lifting me up, this small, conservative, conservative Baptist church. And Reverend Chester Johnson, he preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. I don't know how he did it. I, that freaks me out even thinking about it. And he was just this, 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 this cartoon-type character because when he preached, he always had a black suit on and a tie, and he would preach, and he would move up and down the stage. And it's like his legs took him from one side of the stage to the other. And he would point at you while he preached. And it wasn't like, you're going to hell. No. It was, you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. God loves you. I mean, he would point at you and you say, do you think you're going to explode? Because you just he would just speak right to you, your soul. And he would always look at me. You're loved, Richie. You are loved. And he was just a magnificent pastor and lovers of his congregation. He loved everyone. Well, Sunday night came, and I was sitting in the uh, second pew, like right here, and he was preaching. We had our music, and we were singing. Baptist church, they had good music. And the sisters were singing and swaying back and forth. And then we sat down, and he started preaching. All right now, the word of the Lord says this, and he went into his message. And I'm, I'm into it, just like I was very engaged. And all of a sudden, I couldn't hear anything. It was as if I completely just went deaf. Now, I'm nine, almost ten now. I was terrified. Because I thought, well, okay, it's going to come back. I'm going to hear. I couldn't hear anything. Nothing. Nothing. And I got a little emotional. I became afraid. And I sat there. It felt like for eternity. I sat there, and I could see Chester Johnson 
pointing and preaching. I looked behind me, the ladies, amen, amen. I could not hear them. I was terrified. I got emotional. And then, and this is the God's honest truth, a peace came over me. But it felt like in that peace, that moment, I was on a roller coaster. I couldn't hear, and all I could see is Chester Johnson preaching and people amening him and loving his sermons, as we all did. And it was pure, and it was beautiful. But at that moment, I was terrified. I didn't know what was happening. And I grabbed the back of the pew. Boom. And people heard that because I just... And I felt like, I don't know what's going on. I felt like, I'm losing my hearing. God, please help me. And he was preaching. They saw that. People behind me were getting concerned. I was crying. And I was holding on to the pew. And... And all of a sudden, whew, this peace, this peace. And in my right ear, I've only heard an audible voice that I believe is God. It's changed my life. I'm calling you to preach the good news. Just not loud just very real, just very soft, very loving. I'm calling you to preach the gospel. Boom! Boom! Chester Johnson, and Jesus said to do, and God wants you. And all of a sudden, all the sounds came in. I was there. I could hear tears coming down my face. I was freaked out, freaked out. And to this day, this ear, still has lost its hearing, most of its hearing. To this day, I have always had problems with this ear. A power spoke into this ear and changed my life. So, of course, what do you do? You got to tell your pastor you heard from God. You got to tell your preacher you heard from God. So I go up, and I go, Reverend Chester Johnson, what's up, Richie? How you doing? He's covered in sweat, right? <laughs> He's got his, you know, handkerchiefs, rubbing his, you know, his sweat, trying to get the sweat off his face. How you doing, Richie? I'm like, oh, I'm okay. You think I'm small now? I was just like small. I was a little, right? And he goes, hi, what's going on? I said, I, I heard God. What? What'd you say? <laughs> I said, I heard God. God spoke to me. What'd he say? I said, well, what he said? No, hold on, hold on. Hey, everybody. Richie heard from God this morning. Now, now I'm freaked out, right? And all, everyone came over, and I remember those ladies, I remember those beautiful three black women who came around. What did he say? What did he say? What did he say? And I just never experienced a community like this that believed that God would speak to a nine-year-old and leaned in to hear what God spoke, what God said. And I said, he called me to preach the good news. And oh, they got all excited. A lady starts singing. Oh, wow. That was the beginning of what it all started for me. Following Sunday came, and I got up. Well, I was sitting in the front row. Church was full. 
And Reverend Chester Johnson said, all right, we have a guest speaker this morning. I didn't know who the guest speaker was. I said, oh, cool. I mean, church was small. I didn't see anyone new. We have a guest preacher this morning. And he took a folding chair. And he went behind the pulpit. And he opened the folding chair. And he goes, we have a guest preacher. And I'm like, a small person, obviously. Someone small. Okay, cool. Richie, get on up here and preach the word, brother. I was, I, I didn't know what to do. I was, what do you do when you're called spot on? Get up and preach. You got to let the Holy Spirit speak through you. And I'm thinking, oh, I just needed a warning, right? I just, and I, I got up and I was shaking and I didn't know what I was going to say except the scripture that I read the night before, Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. Don't hide it under a bushel or a bucket or don't hide it. Let your light shine. Well, that was my first sermon. I preached. I think it was a whole four minutes. <laughs> and they act like it was the best sermon they ever heard. They were very gracious people. And that was the beginning. So obviously, I was to do this. I felt very like I'm going to preach for the rest of my life. And then, in high school, I used to carry, I, found, I stole this from your office, by the way. I, I used to carry a Bible like this to high school every day, junior high and high school, every day, carry this. I was known as Preacher Boy, and I would carry this with me. I'd carry my Bible. It was always on the top of my books. And through all the home life uh, trauma I was experiencing, even as a, as a, when I entered in the ninth grade, my father broke my nose. I was experiencing a lot of trauma. But I was very, like, I've got to share this good news. But what happened for me was as I entered in high school, this good news wasn't so good anymore. You've been there, haven't you? This good news of Christ and this good news of a faith community to love you no matter what wasn't such good news. It was very misinterpreted. And I realized... Well, I, I'm kind of like attracted to my, my best friend, Timmy. I, I'm like, I should be dating in my mind and what I believed, who I was then, and what I was told. I should be becoming more interested in, you know, Grace or Mary, but I was interested in Timmy. And I, and I wanted to be with Timmy, right? Those, those attractions, and then all of a sudden, I, wrote, I, I thought, I, this, this gospel wasn't good news. This message that I so believed in with all of my heart, everything, nothing could ever sway my faith except I'm gay. And never say it out loud. I would never say it because then you have to own it. I would always just, I have, I have this, this piece of me that's extremely evil. And I would tell 
friends, close friends, and then I would have to go through therapy, and I had to go where they tried to convince me or deprogram me. I went to places where they were trying to cast the demons out of me. I, I did it for years. I was so, so against this ideal of being gay and being, being a minister. And then one night, my mom said, I need to talk to you. I was just entering into full-time ministry, and I was working at a large mega church. And she said, I need to talk to you. And we sat in the living room. My mother was not a church person because she couldn't stand the hypocrisy of church. She was a southern spiritual woman. She loved her Jesus, she would say, as she had a, a, a martini in her hand. I love my Jesus, right? She goes, Richie, you're different. You're different from your friends. You are different. And if you push this away, if you deny this, you will be the most unhappiest man that I've ever known. You will, you will, you will not you will not be happy. And I didn't know what she, I mean, I knew what she was saying, but she didn't say gay. I said, well, mom, I, you know, I have my struggles. I have my challenges, my struggles. No, 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 no. You, you, you're God's creation. You're God's creation. That's what she told me. And I just, like, okay, mom, you know, you get, okay, mom. You're awesome. This is really awkward. I'm out. This is, I got to go. I have to go spread the word of the Lord. Really? You're dying on the inside, honey. Thanks, Mom. And I was dying on the inside. In all of that, obviously, I've, I've evolved. That Jesus on the white horse coming in to rescue an abused kid, I had a choice. Is that Jesus, this loving, welcoming Christ that I would stand up and preach? God loves you. God loves you. God loves you in spite of everything. God loves you. I had to come to a place. Will I accept God's love for me? For me. I was in full-time ministry, moved out to San Diego to do Campus Life, Youth of Christ, another organization that people don't know much about. And what happened was this. I started hanging out with non-religious teenagers. Non-religious teenagers that I wanted to win to Jesus. And these, these young men and women became close to, to me in my journey. And I was 24, 25. And I was trying to lead them to Jesus. And there was this Jewish young man that was a part of campus life. And he lived on the edge and he had a lot of issues and a lot of challenges and I just I just like I have to lead him to Jesus I have to bring him in to Jesus because he might die and not spend eternity with God triggering I know I know sorry 
And for two years, I was working with this kid and his dysfunctional family and trying to help them. And just, it was so difficult. And, and one night at a youth camp thing, we did surfing trips and down to Baja. And I just said, Reed, when are you going to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'm saying this to a Jewish young man. How rude, right? How rude. But I thought that's what I got to do. And he looked at me and he goes, uh, are you going to be my brother if I never accept your Jesus? Boom. It changed me. Completely changed me. I had to answer, yes, I am. He goes, well, I'm Jewish. I know you follow this Jewish dude. I think I'm in. <laughs> yeah, you're in. I'm okay. I shouldn't say anything more. And in that group with Reed and all of these kids, we started this thing called Mission on Sunday nights. Because I, you know, I wanted kids to experience faith community. I wanted people to experience what it meant to, to go to church and connect with people who, who understood and wanted to understand God and the story of God and how God intertwines in our stories and how God's story can impact our story, right? That's what I wanted. So I would take kids to this big Presbyterian church in Rancho Bernardo, and we would sit, and they have beautiful pews, and we would sit, and these kids, these non-religious teens, would, you know, when the communion thing came around, they'd take two. They just thought, oh, cool, drinks. This is awesome. They would stand up at the wrong time. They would sit down at the wrong time. They didn't get any of it, but they loved the community. They loved, believe it or not, all the stained glass in this church. They saw the stories in the stained glass when that is, that is Jesus, right? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's him healing something. They would watch and look at the stained glass, and it just spiritually, they were waking up. It was a beautiful, beautiful situation. And I drove this big Astro van, and it was just, they're like tanks. They're literally made metal. I mean, they're just tanks. You cannot destroy them. And kids try, trust me. And we would load up and unload and go to church and it was beautiful and then one Sunday after church I came out and it was it was uh there was everyone was loading up in the van and there was a note on on the uh window and of course you know there's no boundaries with teenagers I opened up oh cool I got a note and they're like oh who who's who gave you a note maybe it's that girl okay no. anyway so so I opened up the note and the note said this, you need to leave, you, no, do not bring these kids to this church anymore. They do not belong here. That was just what it said. And they're all crowding around, you know, there's no boundaries. They're all ho hovering and they read it. And I was, I, I was reading, they read it. We all read it at the same time. And I, and I, and I will not give you the profanity, <laughs> as, as Tyler said, but he said, Rich, and he pointed at the church, if that is Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. Nothing. And I was standing in the parking lot as they were getting in, our, our, the attitude, uh, the, the spirit of the joy of just hearing of 
a sermon by a Presbyterian minister and being in that space and communion, it, all of that was just gone. It was washed away. And we got in and it was sad. I don't think anyone said a word for a while. And I knew who I was, who I was becoming, my, my evolution, who I was evolving to, this love for the gospel, this love for church, this love for community, the story of God intertwining with our stories, right? I knew, I, I just, I knew as if I was sitting, I was that nine-year-old boy sitting in that pew, couldn't hear anything except a sweet voice. I'm calling you to preach the good news. And I knew there needs to be communities of faith that loves and accepts everyone. And so from there, we started mission on Sunday nights. And it was just mission then. And we, we, we started with about 30 kids and some campus life staff members. Interesting, it was high school and post-college and elderly people. And college kids didn't want to go. We were a little too um, um, liberal. It was interesting. It was post-college and elderly people because they loved being with young people and they loved seeing what was going on. And we were in a Baptist, I mean, a Methodist church and we're meeting on Sunday nights. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And we grew from 30 to 300 in about four or five months. It was just, it was, it was amazing. And this is before I even heard of the Disciples of Christ, before I heard of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, the denomination we're a part. This is way before all of that. But it was just very beautiful, and it was very real, and kids were coming to know and experiencing God, and they were connecting with some elderly people who hated the fact that the kids brought coffee into the sanctuary, right? They hated it, but they're like, okay, we're put up with it if they go to church, that type of mentality, but they loved the kids, and the kids loved those little elderly ladies, and it was a beautiful, beautiful, and I could give you a million stories, but I'm going to close on this. There was this kid named Joe. And Joe was a tough kid, tougher than Reed. And he would never come to the Sunday night mission. He would just go and, and sit in the parking lot. Because his girlfriend and his best friend loved mission. And he would bring them. And he had a, just a muscle car, just a muscle car. And he would sit in the parking lot, and he had a little faux hawk, right? He had some piercings. He was a tough kid at that time that would be considered very tough. And he, he uh, would sit at the edge of the parking lot, and I would be coming in because I'm running late, and it was, a, you know, people, kids and families and elderly people were, older people were coming in to go to mission. And I would see him, and I'd go, hey, Joe, like just like a corny preacher does. Right, that pastor, hey, how you doing? You're like, oh my God, so weird. I go, hey, Joe. And every, almost every Sunday, he would just flip me off. He would give me the finger every Sunday. It was like a tradition now. Joe, yeah, yeah, I don't want to be here. My girlfriend wants to be here, and my best friend, Chris, wants to be here. F you. That was his mentality. I'm like, oh yeah, you too, you too, Joe.
I completely, I don't even know why I look at this. I'm nowhere near where I'm supposed to be. Those were great friends. They were great guys. And, they, and those girls, they, it was just, they were always out and about. And this is before the day of cell phones, that every kid had a cell phone. If a kid is born today, like, oh, right, way before that. If you had a cell phone back then, you, were, you had a lot of money. And they were this big. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway. So they were out partying. Joe and Chris and the girls, they were out partying. And it was a Saturday night. Rancho Bernardo, the Highway 15. And they would go from party to party, and they were drinking, drinking a lot. And Chris was pretty drunk, and he was driving. And Joe had another car, because they had a lot of people. And they were driving, and they, didn't, they got a little lost. And they pulled over on the 15 freeway and pulled over. And Chris and Joe got out to kind of figure out where they were going, how they got they're lost. We've got to figure out where we are. And Joe goes, gets out of his car, <laughs> major traffic, highway. <laughs> Chris gets out, closes the door, and he goes, Joe, Joe, and stumbles to the freeway and is hit. Bam, bam. Two cars hit him. And, and Joe jumps to try to get him out. And the girls grabbed Joe and pulled him back. And, he got, and Chris got hit again. Boom! And was killed. Late that Saturday night, I got a call from one of my Campus Life club directors and said, Rich, Rich, wake up, wake up. And, okay, all right, I'm up. Chris is dead. Chris, who, Chris? And he told me, and what do you do? You, you, you get sad. You, you think, what are we going to do to help all these kids? Well, Sunday night, mission happened, and it was packed full of families. Chris was so loved. He was so loved. He loved God. He was just a normal kid, and he just did stupid things like you and I did or will do, and he just was a kid, and just a good guy. Why? Why, God? And it was packed, and I remember trying to preach, and when I would say, God loves you, <laughs> you would hear the crying. And God was just like, Rich, stop just being a preacher and be a pastor and talk about Chris and remember Chris. And I did that, and people were crying, and it was, it was very moving. It was challenging. It was hard. It was so painful. We've all been there. Why, God? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you take such a good person? Those questions that may never get answered. And every, uh, every Sunday night, this is before we were part of the Disciples of Christ. I didn't even know the Disciples of Christ existed, but... We, we did communion every single Sunday night, which is very different than the Methodist setting. And I remember doing communion, and I remember seeing God's body broken. People were just crying. God's body is broken for you and I. 
the body of God, God on a cross to defeat, to defeat empire, to give us hope that man's violence, man's violence, humanity's violence cannot kill God. God loves you, loves you. And I remember pouring the, the grape juice, Methodists don't allow wine. I remember pouring that. And then I would always go with another minister of the Methodist setting, and we would always stand to the left of where the people would come, and there was another station where two other communion servers were. And it was just everyone. It was like they had to take communion. And the lines were long, and people were crying. And in that line, I saw someone's hair, and it was that faux hawk, and it was Joe. And he was coming down the line, my line. And I was holding the wine, the grape juice, and I was holding it. And he had Diane, Diane, Reverend Diane Davis, took the bread and says, the body of God broken for you, Joe. And he took it. And he was crying, just sobbing. Why? Why, God? Why? In that, in that brokenness of him and the brokenness of God, that humanity and the, how we are afraid of God and the, the deepness and the hurt of pain of losing someone that you love so much, only realizing that God's brokenness is the is real for our brokenness. And through God's brokenness, there is transformation. And in that brokenness, there is healing. And he took that bread, and he was shaking. He was shaking. He's like, oh. And he was moaning. And everyone in the, the sanctuary, larger than the sanctuary, but very similar to the, the background, all glass. He was, oh, oh, God. And he was crying out to God. And, and he went to go dip it into the chalice, and he was shaking so much that he, sh and I was holding the chalice, and I was like, okay, okay, okay. And he was shaking, and he dipped it in, and he dropped the bread, and he just fell into me. And the juice, the wine went over, all over both of us. And Joe and I are still friends to this day. But then covered in that wine, covered in that wine, that love, that grace of God, and Jesus was on the cross, and that, that, that love of God ran down that tree. And when that love of God hit the earth, the earth shook, and the love of God would not be hold, held back by temples, churches, uh, uh, religious institutions, the love of God was now for everyone. And God hung on that cross. And God said, I will show humanity how much I love them. And God's love transformed Joe, transformed me that night. It will, I, and I knew I had to be the pastor. I had to be a pastor. I wanted to be a pastor for people like Joe for the rest of my life. That's why you're sitting here today because of Joe, not because of me. That's, you're sitting here because of Reed, a Jewish young man who said, I'm Jewish, I think I'm good. 
You're sitting here today because gay men and women came around me and said, you know what? You're not going to hell. You are God's creation. You're sitting here today in this sanctuary. Who would ever think, right, this beautiful space that God has given this church, this faith community. You're here because of the stories of people who didn't find God because they were told how evil they are. They found God because they were told how much they are loved and the pain and the hurt that they were experiencing. That's why we're here. And so this morning in this beautiful setting, the sun came out Seattle. Oh my gosh, there are, there's some miracles still. In this moment, I invite you to take these elements. I call them the elements of grace, communion, the sacrament of communion. I invite you to come up here and experience this love, this broken God that yearns to heal our brokenness, this God that desires for us to know this love. There are so many times in my life I just felt like because of the people I was attracted to, because of all that I was going through, I would just never, never be loved by God like I thought when I was nine years old. But every time I come to stations of grace like this, I'm remembered how much God loves me, just the way I am, just the way I am. And that's, that's for you too. These elements of grace are for your story, the Jesus story, these elements of grace can and will become your story. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious, loving God, I know in this space, this beautiful sanctuary, uh, for a lot of us sitting in a church building, just it can trigger us, it can bring back a lot of pain rejection but God we are here and we we know you love us this morning I help us to accept this unconditional life-giving love from another world your love your total acceptance God where we are struggling with being parents and workers and our brothers and our sisters we have enemies we have people we struggle with we're trying to hold the house together and all of our messiness and all of our lives god please right now please god intervene with your loving spirit and as we take these elements of grace may we know that we are loved in the sacredness of this moment i invite you in your tradition to come receive this love and be open to this God that does not give up on us. Come when you're ready. God has always been ready.